it was apparent to me that it, that the landscapes themselves were like a portrait. It it was like looking at myself, because it was although it was a vehicle for for expressing something. When you express something that's that's really personal, and it doesn't matter how that happens, there's no other way of looking at it. If you put it in some way that can be communicated as some sort of analogy of yourself. Hi, and welcome to episode 91 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stoljar, and I'm excited to be bringing you my conversation with Colin Pennock. I met Colin at Art House Gallery's booth at Sydney Contemporary Art Fair last year, where he was the gallery's featured artist, and where his body of work was one of the standouts of the fair. And I was reminded this week just how important those fairs and gallery exhibitions are. State governments around Australia have this week eased restrictions and a few days ago I actually entered a gallery for the first time in over eight weeks and it felt like a holiday. Just being face to face with the paint rather than those pixels on my phone reminded me how important seeing the work in real life really is. And it's particularly important when we talk about Colin Pennock's work. You could call it landscape painting, but it certainly doesn't fall into that category in any traditional sense. Traditional ideas of sky and land and sea are thrown into ambiguity, and the pieces of impasto paint, which are so distinctive in his work, provide a fragmented way of seeing the world. It's almost impossible for the viewer not to have some response to the energy and movement generated in his work. He's been painting for over 35 years, has had over 20 solo shows, has won the Mossman Alan Gamble Memorial Art Prize, been finalist in many others and is represented in Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide and London. His excellent solo show, The Modernist 2020, with Scott Levesey Galleries in Melbourne, opened a few days after we recorded the interview and will continue until June 6, 2020. All the works we talk about are also on the website talkingwithpainters.com. Colin was born in Belfast in Northern Ireland. As 10-pound poms, his parents first brought him to Australia when he was one year old, but he has since lived in many places, from Ireland to the UK to New York to various places in Australia. But it's in Queensland's idyllic Noosa hinterland where he and his wife, jewellery designer Katrina Pennock, have settled for the last 10 years. We spoke via Zoom and our conversation starts with Colin's memories of art as a teenager. Uh, Did you do art at high school? Uh, Yeah, you know, I've always sort of focused on my art through school and um, there was other things I liked to do. I liked technical drawing and things like that, architecture. But yeah, I always had a flair for drawing and painting. And um, I think when I was 15, um, I did a residency and it was on the Antrim coast in Ireland, up near the Giant's Causeway. And it was a group of selected students from all over Ireland. Um, and it was a really good experience because it just focused on landscape and figure drawing and things like that. And um, I really got an immersed into it and a sense of what it would be like to be an artist. Mm. And in fact... While I was doing that, um, I was 
on the side of this hill, this cliff, um, and there was a car park down below. It's on that Antrim coast, very beautiful coastline, with um, a friend who who was also doing it. Um, and so we were drawing and painting, and this car pulled up, and uh, it was a man and a woman, and it, I think they were acting a bit strangely. And anyway, the man got out of the car, and he saw us, and and he shouted up, "What are you doing up there?" And Joe, the guy I was with, he 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 shouted back, "We're artists. What are you doing down there?" <laughs> you know. So that was sort of the first moment of realization of you know, yeah, we're artists. You know, this is what we are. This is what we do. And it felt really good. You know, it felt like yeah, that that really hit the mark. Totally. Well, it's a totally different thing to say we're artists, or as opposed to saying we're drawing or we're painting. Yeah, it was owning something. It's like an identity. Identity, yeah. And and you know those kid those kids were from from all over Ireland. So you, you probably know that there's that sectarian side of Irish politics that you know Catholic and Protestant thing. And um, yeah, so to sort of mix the you know when you think of mixing people. Um, there was these sort of preconceived ideas within the schools. You know, they were mainly Protestant or they were mainly Catholic. There wasn't too many schools that were that were mixed, and 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 even if they were, they were of that area. So the politics of that area might have been a certain thing, and the politics of another area was different. Um, so it was good to sort of have an eye opening in that regard to other kids that lived in other areas and we were able to just get on with what we were doing and not get caught up in the troubles and what was happening with that. It was, it was, just, a, it was just about living and being, you know, enjoying what you were doing. Yeah, well, talking, talking about the troubles, I mean, it's interesting that your first full-time job was really as far removed, I think, from it being an artist as you possibly could be, and that was <laughs> yeah, being yeah. that was being a police officer. Was that when you were seventeen? Is that right? Yeah. What What happened was at school um, we had a careers teacher, and he he said to me, "What What do you want to be? You know, what do you want to do?" And I said, "I'd like to be an artist." And he said, "Don't be ridiculous. There's no such job." <laughs> Um, so then he got the yellow pages out and he literally went through all the A, architecture, what have you. And he said, oh, maybe architecture. And I said, oh, okay, I'll give that a go. So I did a work, a work experience week in an architect's office. And all I did was trace drawings that the architect had done. And I was so bored doing that. I just thought, I don't want to do that. If that's what being an architect is. But of course it wasn't, but, you know. Yeah, he was probably he was probably looking for something for you to do and thought, what the hell am I going to give this kid to do? Yeah, yeah. It's, e- it's, either, it's either making tea or, you know, tracing my drawings. Um, I did both, by the way. So, yeah, so, so when, I, when I came back, it was, well, there was a, there was a RUC police, uh, that, that stands for the Royal Ulster Constabulary, they were going around the schools and recruiting, I suppose. Um, 
and uh, and I joined. I thought, well, that sounds good, you know. Um, when I was seventeen, uh, it was just after my seventeenth birthday. Wow. Um, first the cadets, and then I was a police constable just after my eighteenth birthday. So then it was sort of fully immersed into that world, which is quite bizarre, really. In what way? Well, the troubles were on. There was it was like quasi-military police work um, on the border and car bombs, all sorts of things. You know, I well, I was a young man at that time. I was still going out to nightclubs and things. But when I came out of the nightclub, I had to check the behind the tire to see if there was any mercury tilt switches on the car. Um, I carried a gun on duty, but off duty as well. And um, it was a psyche where you just can't relax. You're always looking over your shoulder. You're always aware of what's going on. You're always you know, watching people and seeing how their body language is working so that you can suss out if there's anything wrong, you know. So you don't, it's like you don't go go forward with your eyes closed. You, you have your eyes open, but in a much different way than being an artist has their eyes open. It was, it was for a different reason. Mm. Well, it's um, for self-preservation, I suppose, you know. Well, yeah, yeah. So anyway, when, when I was on duty, um, I, I used to carry these little sketchbooks and I'd make quick drawings and sketches and usually I couldn't stay too long in one place so I had to um, make them with charcoal and quite quick and atmospheric, I suppose. Um, and when I applied to art school, I went to St Martin's School of Art in London and had an interview and they saw those sketchbooks and that's the reason why they, they gave me a four-year scholarship based on, on those wow. sketches that, that I'd done while I was in the police. And I, I actually didn't even think about them as being important. I just thought they were well, scribbles or, you know, I'd made a whole portfolio of things that I really focused on and thought, well, this is, this is really, you know, the good stuff. But it wasn't that that they responded to as much. In fact, one of the tutors later told me, because I thought I could draw really well, he said, oh, no, it's not the drawing. You know, that's not what we thought was special about your work. We What we responded to was the atmosphere in your work. And 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 it was obvious in, the, in those sketchbooks, you know. And at, after that period, were you just doing this on your own, these sketches? You weren't sort of being tutored or had any guidance from any other artists? No, no, no. It was just what I, what I, what I observed and, and what way I wanted to do it. I, I had no guidance. And whenever, when I went to art school, I think I was pretty ignorant of art history and things like that. There was, there were, you know, growing up, we didn't have art books in the house or anything like that, so... So that was a huge sort of immersion into a culture, you know, right in the heart of London and all yeah. these great galleries, you know. That must have been just the most amazing contrast to what you had been doing for yeah. those years before. It, what, was yeah. it, what was it like in the 80s in London? Oh, it was great. You know, it was, it was full of life and there was so much to see, all the museums and galleries and 
exhibitions. Um, the first exhibition that I saw was in the National Gallery, and it was Marc Chagall. And I, I remember seeing this massive, massive painting. It was just like a big tapestry on the wall. And it was a field, you know, it's just this field of color, really. Yellow, mostly yellow. And I was just blown away. I just thought, this, this is amazing, you know. I, I was always just drawn to to that sense of what paint can do, you know, mm. how it can make you feel. Um, and so I was really drawn to all, all of that, you know, all impressionism and um, expressionists. I, like, I loved all the exp- German expressionist works um, because they were a bit like my figurative, early figurative works. That was sort of where I felt the work was going. Um, and of course, you know, St. Martin's has a great tradition of painters as well. Um, Leon Kossoff and Frank Auerbach and, um, there was, there was a lot of important painters that went there, Gilbert and George, but also sculptors, you know, Richard Long and, um, you know, Anthony Gormley went there as well. So, um. It was just uh, the energy was there and, and and the variety, you know. There was people from all walks of life, you know. We're all coming from different countries. One of the guys on my year was a, had been a Buddhist monk before he was there, you know. So. Wow. It's interesting, isn't it, how like the history of an art school and even the building of the art school is so important to getting your creativity sparked. Oh, Definitely. Definitely, you know, and the, uh, you know, the the lifts in the building were the 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 metal ones, you know, with the scissor doors yeah. that you you know they just had so much sort of history built into them, you know. And then I went to New York um, in 1996, and I was there until after the 9/11 happened. And that was in my neighbourhood. I lived in Tribeca. What What was that experience like? I mean, do you, were you there that day? Yeah, yeah, I saw it. I was there. Um, that's a whole thing in itself, you know. Um, that experience was like, but it's not just me. I, I think that affected everyone. Um, but yeah, literally, I came out of my apartment that day and walked to the end of the street. And as I was walking to the end of the street, someone came past me and went, "Oh my God, a plane's just hit the World Trade Center." And I, just, I had this vision that it was just a little plane, one of those little tiny ones. I thought, "Oh no, it's terrible," you know. Like, you know, I was thinking about that, and then, and then, just before getting to the end of the street, someone else said. The second, a second one's hit, you know, it's a, a huge plane's just hit. And I immediately then thought, this isn't an accident. This is terror. This has got to be terrorists. And I looked up and the, I could see the, the building on fire. Um, and I was actually going to an interview that, that day. I was, um, having an interview to be an, an art director of all things, um, trying to get a job. Um, because I was freelancing um, with my um, storyboards and 
illustration and stuff. Yeah, so I, I, I thought, well, what am I going to do? Well, I go down there and see if I can help. And I thought, well, I'm just going to be getting in the way, you know. Mm. Um, so I thought, well, I'll go to the interview and see what happens. Went to the interview. And in the conference room, they had a big television screen. And it was on TV. And so I met the guy that I was meeting. And, and he said, oh, we've, we can't do it. We're not doing this today. And I said, yeah, that's fine. I understand. So... I went outside and, oh, no, on on the TV, one of the buildings fell oh. as, as we mm. were talking. And then I went outside and I saw one bu- one building still there because it was midtown. I could I could see just where, where we were, um, that there was still just one building. It was weird. It was like a TV sort of reality experience, you know, on a beautiful blue day. Yeah. So I just thought I, I should just... You know, this might be next chemical or biological. I need to get out of the city. So I had a motorbike and I had a house that I rented in the Catskill Mountains in upstate a couple of hours. So I got in the motorbike and left the city and went went there for a couple of days until I was sure that... Um, it, it seemed like it had calmed down a bit. And when I came back, all the street was like Beirut, you know, war wartime. It was just all covered in dust. And um, it's very strange, very strange time. It must have been very shocking, I yeah, can imagine. Yeah, it was. And, that, and was, that, was that the catalyst for coming back to Australia? Yeah, it was. It definitely was. Um, I just thought, well, for some time I felt that that commercial artwork wasn't wasn't me. It wasn't. It was something I could do. It was something I could make money from. But it it wasn't my heart and soul. You know, it, my heart and soul was was to paint. So I decided. Well, look, I'm going to go to Australia. My family were in Australia at that time, and I thought if I go to Australia, I can just immerse myself in that. You know, take a bit of a breather and just get into what I do and just really explore painting in a way that I'd never really done before. And I did that. I got, I got a um, studio in Balmain and worked there for a few couple of years, actually, where I didn't exhibit, I didn't try to show the paintings to anyone. I just immersed myself in it and just um, tried lots of new techniques. Um, and it's funny because people were walking past me and really not, you know, they were interested, but not really that interested. It was sort of, oh, what's that? Oh, he's making blocks of wood and painting them and sticking them together. Oh, no, what's he doing? Oh, you know, it was a bit like they weren't really thinking about it, as that I was a serious artist, and I didn't really care about that. I just thought, well, I just want to immerse myself in it. And there was a point where I, I thought, I need to break through something. I need to do something. And the only way I felt that I could do it, and it was a bit bit rash and a bit bizarre, I got all the paint that I owned and I squeezed it out on the table, all of it. And I had these canvases and I surrounded myself with these canvases and I just started painting with with the paint and I used all of it. And it just had this amazing sort of energy 
and all the things that I'd been thinking about, they all came out. And that was quite a sort of momentous, um, revealing moment, I suppose, for me. Mm. Um, and one of the works that I did from that was a work on paper. Um, was, um, it, it won the Mossman Alan Gamble Prize. So I really feel that that's, that's the point where things changed for me in about 2005. That's so interesting. So that was like a turning point. And it's so yeah. interesting that you say that there, you had a two-year period where there was you did not put pressure on yourself in a way. Not at all. Not at so all. That, that must have been so formative for you um, to be able to have that freedom. Yeah. I needed to empty out. I needed to get rid of all of that stuff that was... And, and, you know, it was the same when I was in the police. Whenever I arrived at art school, I felt like someone had just lifted the weight of a man off my shoulders and put it to the side. And I didn't even know it was there. I didn't even know that pressure was there. And likewise, I think it was the same with New York. And it just felt like I needed to cleanse. I needed to, to start again and I, I needed to, you know, that, that's what happened. We don't spend much time in cities anymore. We, you know, we go to Sydney or Melbourne for a few days at a time and we really enjoy it, but, but we're always glad to get back to the country, you know. Yeah, definitely. And how do you think, how do you think um, that environment helps your own practice? Well, I draw a lot on my memory whenever I'm working. So, um, you know, I don't think forward too much. I think about, it's almost like when, when you play music, you put on a record and it sort of sets you in a mood and you, your mind drifts away. Um, so I don't like a lot of interruptions and I don't like a lot of intrusions. And, you know, nature, you hear the bird noises and all that. But it's very kind of subtle. It's very sort of reassuring. And it's something that I've always had in my life. So so if I feel relaxed, if I feel in that place where I can just start to make work and really just see where it goes, see where it leads me, it comes from a place of quietness, I think, my work. And it's... It's probably the reason why this body of work is called the Modernist 2020 is because I'm looking back over a long period of time where I've been painting 35 years. Say. Um, and whenever, whenever I started painting in, in, in London, um, there was some figurative work, but mainly it was the sort of the landscape that was what held my interest. And I started painting through these sort of landscapes that, well, everybody said, oh, why are you painting Irish landscapes in, in London? You know, which is essentially what they seem to be. But there was elements in the, say, the trees were like Australian gum trees. It was this sort of mm. mixed mixture of things, you know? Yeah. Um, and... And, and I didn't know why I was doing that. I was kind of obsessed with doing more and more landscapes. And 
you know, the figures became less figurative and, and maybe the figures were replaced by a tree or, or rocks and then they became less um, apparent so that it just became more to do with the setting of the landscape, if you like, the, the, the plane of foreground, middle ground, background. And, and how that, how that you could feel about being in a landscape or looking at that landscape and a sense of that. And, um, a lot of my works feel like they're flying a bit. It's almost like you're in a dream and, and you're floating across a landscape or you're moving into it or, and I, and I think that comes from that, um, the way that I draw work out of myself is it, it feels almost a bit like that, a bit dreamlike. Well, you've said that um, it's almost like, well, it, it comes from an emotional place, uh, but it's mm. you've referred to it as a self-portrait. And even I think a show with Serena Morton in London was called Self-Portraits at, at one point. Well, I, I think that working in the way that I did, it... I real I began to realize that looking back on on the, all of this work um because in hindsight it's it's easier to see that I wasn't actually painting a landscape I was painting my feelings or my senses towards things that were happening in my life and I go oh yeah I remember doing that and I remember why I was feeling that way and I felt like things were falling away or I felt um, overwhelmed or I felt um, you know that this sort of foreboding force moving towards me or and and I could relate those to, to points in my life you know things that I was trying to put behind me like the police my experiences of the police and that sort of trauma of some of those things as well and they were I could see in my work that it was it it was apparent to me that it, that the landscapes themselves were like a portrait. It it was like looking at myself, because it was although it was a vehicle for for expressing something. When you express something that's that's really personal, and it doesn't matter how that happens, there's no other way of looking at it. If you put it in some way that can be communicated as some sort of analogy of yourself and that's the way I was thinking anyway. Well it's so interesting to see that in the form of a landscape. I mean for me it ha- when I look at your work I feel this uh it's like an it's like almost like an unraveling or an untethered feeling like this as you were saying before this floating it is definitely there's that sort of feeling, but there's a lot of movement in it. And I, what I was wondering, uh, because I'm very interested in composition, um, and I'm wondering whether you, uh, you were just saying a second ago, you don't, you don't have a fixed idea at the outset. No, composition is interesting because in most classical painting, there, I was told once, you will always see a Z or a Z that, that, bases the composition that leads you through a landscape from the foreground, middle ground to the background. Um, and, you know, while that is true sometimes in my work, I, I also will will give more than one um, lead in through 
a landscape so that if I feel that the I've let's say I've started in the wrong place on the painting <laughs> and and I go okay well the balance is wrong and it doesn't always work because you know I lose paintings and sometimes I you know I I discard paintings or I scrape off and start again and rework areas but what I what I may do is is find another balance so a sort of um, lawyers might describe it as the counterfactual the other the other way of looking at it to to make it balance with this thing you know this is something but this is something else so you can make things work off each other mm -hmm. um, so there are things that I, I do and it sometimes subconsciously and sometimes I look at it and go well that, that needs to be drawn more that way or I'm starting to see cloud formation there that I want but I can lose that or I can that can just be energy there I'm happy with that just being energy I'm happy with the idea of the the ground as it were breaking off and, and moving into the sky. You know, I'm happy with the idea of using green in the sky, you know, where you would imagine it just for the ground or or to have a, an ochre or a raw sienna, which was maybe part of, started off maybe part of the hill or the, the cliff becoming part of the sea and, and breaking up the sea. So I like that. I like that things kind of merge into each other. I think that that's what happens quite naturally in life. That that things are never one way. They're never one. They're never clear cut. There's always things that that affect other things. You know, if you put one color next to another, it's going to affect it. You know, or light in a certain way. Um, so. So you do have a you do have a, an an ability and a a way of guiding things, and mm -hmm. that's the way I feel that I am. I'm I'm guiding something which happens quite naturally. Mm. Well, I also love that there's often an ambiguity. I find in say, for example, that work summer's conversation. Uh, that I, I love that work, and and it feels the bottom half of that work. It's un, it feels like the sky or the sea or water or something and it feels you, you could fall and plunge into it but it's so ambiguous as to what it is, you know. So it was interesting to hear you talk about, you know, the sea or the land because sometimes I don't even know if it's the land or the sea or the sky, you know. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I had that in my mind when I was talking about those Siena marks coming into the sea. Right, yeah. So it's funny that you ask about it now. Um, but that painting, whenever I started working on that, I started feeling, because we had been in South Wales um, in the UK last year. And in fact, I was meant to be doing a, a residency this year there and a show in London, which is being postponed because of all this coronavirus. Um, but um, so... My thoughts started to go there about that experience and about cliffs and sea, you know, that sort of um, South Wales coastline. Um, and that's what sort of inspired that, that to, to move in that oh, direction. Oh, that's interesting. Um, 
and there's a sort of swirl that goes up through it, which it, there is often in my work, um, with that sense of, of 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 moving to something, or you know, the, I don't, I didn't like the idea, and I, and and sometimes I, if if something looks too realistic, I almost feel uncomfortable with it. You know, I almost feel like I want to move away. I want to re- recoil, and and you know, it's. It, for me, it only needs to have a suggestion of something to then have your senses start to take over. It doesn't need to be totally described, and sometimes by doing it, that um, I think it it maybe takes away a bit of the magic. Can we talk about... Uh, we were talking about colour before, and there was one thing I wanted to talk about um, with you about that, and that is something that's very distinctive in your work. I mean, in this recent body of work in The Modernist 2020, you, you are using a, quite a restricted palette, uh, a limited palette, yeah. um, blues and greens and, um, you know, muted yellows and that sort of thing. But also one of the most striking things is your use of a very dark, I'm, I'm say, going to say black, because I'm very interested in black and in artists using black. Can you tell me a bit about the role of that colour for you and what colour it actually is, whether it is black or not? Well, um, I use, you know, I think the base of of that is mainly Payne's grey, um, but there'll be ivory black in it as well. But then there's other things that I do where I, I, I might mix um, like a viridian green with an Algerian crimson and that gives a really interesting sort of vibrancy that that pick and you can pull it one way or the other you can make the black redder or green you know it's that it's that feel where where it's more translucent and it's so so you can use it almost like a wash Mm. um but i you know of course i draw into those those thick thick marks but for me um i suppose the 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 idea of black in the landscape and it's something which goes way back in my thoughts about um, when I talked about religion a bit in Ireland and um, the idea. And, and I grew up in a in a, you know surrounded by religion. My grandfather was a lay preacher um, in the Gospel Hall in in Ireland. So I I had my fair share of um, the scriptures and and they were always around. Um, so the idea of good and evil or that sense of it to be put into some sort of colour or some sort of tonality um, always interested me and always became part of what I was doing. Um, when I saw some works by Van Gogh that um, were fields of wheat and that it was near the end of his life where he was asked by a farmer to keep the crows from his crops so every time the crows would descend on the crops he'd go out and let a shot off and um and the crows would disappear but um those paintings you could see as the as time went on there was more and more crows and it was like a metaphor that that maybe something was taking over that he couldn't control in it in emotively and that's that's how it felt to look at it um and arguably because 
stories change about Van Gogh, whether he actually shot himself with that gun or whether it was a couple of young boys. But the, mm. at the time that I was looking at that, the story was that he shot himself with the gun. So in a way, it 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 sort of said to me that, you know, he'd lost control and that there's this there's always this idea that in life that that something can take over, that something can interfere, that something can take control away from you. Um, and I, I, su- I suppose I like that in that it related to things that I was feeling. I was, you know, I'd lost some loved ones. Um, there, were, there were things, outside forces around that were, you know, the bushfires recently. And But, but that work started from the, you know, with the Sydney Contemporary, the body of work that you saw at the Sydney Contemporary, where I was ex- exhibiting with Art House Gallery. That's right. I was actually going to refer to one of those paintings, actually, if if I could. That uh, um, what's left after you've taken your share. That was a very powerful work with quite a lot of that dark colour in it, yes. but with a golden sort of focal point in the back in the background. Yes. Can you tell me a bit more about that painting? Well, that sort of led led on from a, a work I'd done. In a previous show, what had happened was I'd put this quite bright Indian yellow and had a like a pink wash in it and and then I started using terps to drip through it, but with the black underneath and it really softened and pulled this sort of pulled the paint down and it felt like this gorge, you know, to me. So that was the sort of first process of that painting. And so then the it felt like for me that that the feeling of that painting was that it had this sort of gorge and that the water was then running from that and it also felt like something up you know this is ominous and this is sort of a bit it feels like um quite beautiful because black can be quite beautiful and um the japanese use black a lot and it has that that idea of space and non-space and um, but it felt to me like there was something beyond affecting what was happening here, and that's what that's what that's why that that painting was titled that. What's what's left when when you've taken your share? Because I felt like life was doing that. It was sort of like I've got this. Whatever I've got here is what's left with from what what what's been happening around us. Mm. Um, but so it's after 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 a loss in a way. Yeah, yes, or, you know, it could be as much about um, the idea that pollution, you know, plastics in the ocean or um, the idea of consumerism and and the fact that we're on this sort of treadmill and that we only really get what the previous generations have sort of set up for us. You know, it's this idea that, that life is constantly moving and that it, it could be, an, you know, it could be something that we, we need to consider, you know, what's what's beyond that hill or what's beyond that place. In fact, it, just mm. on that point, because I will forget if I don't mention it whenever I say, but um, the idea of what's beyond that hill, um, one of the artists that I really admired in Ireland was an artist called Paul Henry. And um, he did these landscapes in Connemara, I think it was, where 
you would see the clouds beyond the hill. So it looked like you could see that there was depth. It wasn't just you were looking to an infinity that you could see. It was like it suggested that the infinity was down beyond the hill and that the cloud was kind of just a just a representation that that there was more to this than you can yeah. see. And, I, and so that always stayed with me. Things like that stay with you, you know, whenever you see things like that, that affect you in that way. And it's interesting because that, I mean, that's a, that's a very small thing, but you could make a whole career from painting out of just one observation like that. You're, you, you, do you know what I mean? You, there's so many things that happen when you paint and you, and if you respond to it, if you, if you think about it before you do it, it generally doesn't happen. You've got to see it when it happens. And in fact, you know, because Katrina is very much involved in, in what I do as well. And I would always say that we're a team in that regard. And, you know, I'll be working and Katrina will come in and she'll say, you know, oh, you know, don't touch that or, you know, and I maybe I was just about to scrape it off. So then we'll... um we'll have a conversation about it and she's got a lot of knowledge about the art she she worked um with galleries in the past and also she was at the victorian college of the arts so she really has a lot of sense of 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 what what paintings are about and that the galleries play a huge role as well because they you know if you've got a if you've got a team of people that you trust and that you work with and you you know that they are backing you and they are sort of doing the you know that side of things which is very complex you know art house are brilliant at it and we've got scott as well and and i've got serena in in, in london and trudiane in adelaide um with bmg um and so i really feel like i'm being looked after you know, I've, I'm sort of being cradled by these people that are looking after me, and 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 you know, I, I really value that, and so does Katrina, and you know, it's it's a good thing. We were just saying before um, you're talking about getting interrupted in the middle of a body of work or something, but it, it reminded me of this idea of leaping from one body of work and moving to to a new body of work, and I think we were talking about uh, earlier about there being a key painting or something that might that that might cause you to to take to a different direction in the next body of work can mm. it, can you tell me a bit more about that yeah um what what i feel is when when i'm working when i'm painting things will things will happen new things will happen and and i often describe it it's like fingers on the hand you know it, paintings sometimes just happen and and you go okay oh that's new or that's leading me that way or oh I can do that oh oh it's something so it's like the branches on a tree as it grows it 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 gets more sprouts now you can put your energy into those different sprouts or growths and develop it more or you can pull back and put your energy in the other branches you know maybe maybe areas that you've already been before um so the reason why i say it there are key paintings and that's probably comes from advertising and storyboards 
um, they do what they call keyframes on drawing storyboards for animation. When I worked for MTV for a short time, um, but they call it keyframes, and and so I think about it in terms of key paintings. So when people are talking to me and they say, often say, "What's your favorite painting in the show?" It's not because I think it's the best painting, but I'll I'll describe it as a key painting because it's a painting that I know has a lot of legs. You know, has there's a lot of area there I can develop. You know, I can take that. I can make a whole body of work just following that that one pathway. Um, like for example, with this show, and this is the first time this has happened. Um, and maybe it's a bit about the mood that I've been in because of the idea that you have to recycle more and you have to really consider things, you know, how they affect other people or being responsible about, you know, where we buy our, you know, groceries from or, or stretchers, you know, are they sustainable and all those things. Um, and so those questions are in my mind and... Um, when I was working, I had all this paint on my palette. And normally I scrape it off when it's dried up and it's, it goes past it's the point where you can use it. I just scrape it into these sort of clusters of paint and I'll just bin it. But I looked at it and I thought, well, there's a beauty in that in itself. It has its own beauty. And I started to use those clumps or pieces of paint as kind of punctuations in the work work like along the riverbank in this show has like quite quite large pieces and they're sort of like they're jewel they're so they're sort of these multicolored type of almost like jewels in a way can you see yourself using that as a sort of a springboard in a way well yeah let's say it's a it's it's a thing that i haven't used in the past i may use it but i may shelve it and use it at another point. But I really like that. You know, there's bits in it where I, I, you know, I'd look at the paint and I'd go, okay, well, I've got to pull a few staples out of that or <laughs> a couple of bits of sawdust. But, but apart from that, it, it looks, I really like it, you know. I really like those. And, and quite interesting because I'd been working in that palette that those pieces of paint had a harmony with with within the works themselves because of that there was a connection already yeah. because they were part of the palette that had made that it that had made the painting but but the actual the actual paint itself was completely different in in terms of um the the mark itself as opposed to being a, a subtle wash or a um you know um mixed with a nice medium and you know quite glossy and glazed you know it had this dried sort of dead skin look and I, you know I like that yeah that's right and you can't create that with a an, a tool in a way it, it had it had to no, organically it, happen yeah yeah it has to be that it is the substance paint is the is the substance and in that regard it's really interesting it has a beauty of its own and it's good to recognise that. It's it's not a tool to get somewhere. It actually has a beauty of its own. And I, I like the idea of pieces of paint 
being seen as daubs, you know, oh, there's a nice piece of paint. I feel like, you know, that I really feel drawn by that. I really feel that that changes what's underneath that, that other area. Or there might be a calm, completely calm, empty area. But, but it, that's necessary as well for, to create this sense of calm. I can see your studio is amazing. It's so spacious. Do you have a routine? Like, do you paint every day? What, what, what does your day look like? Well, there's times whenever I'll work every day, like for maybe three months. I've, there's, been, there's been times where I've worked every day. I don't tend to work all day long, like from early morning. Sometimes I do. But I, for me, the sweet spot, is between about 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. because that's light is very important to me and I could probably do with more light in the studio and we'll get around to putting some skylights in but it's quite bright it's not it's not bad but when when you're dealing with color you know it, if you're very very subtle changes of hue or color light's very important and for me those that time of the day is is the most reliable time of the day. Mm-hmm. In 2009, I went back to the UK. We, my wife and I went back. We took everything with us. We, we had a house in the Hawkesbury and we sold up and we, took, we filled a container and we had a great day and then we had a cat and we moved everything back to the UK because I wanted to have a show in, in London and, and sort of explore possibilities there, you know, reconnect to um to london but i was painting for a show that i was having it was actually for scott at that time and i had to make 10 large works so i think they were 183 by 183 so i made these works um and it was in this house that was because the lights a lot less there than it is in australia my my working window was was only like an hour and a half, two hours reliable <laughs> in the day, and it was, you know, I'd go in and I'd sort of panic, right? No more, and you know, it was it was mad, you know, because it really yeah. drove home the idea that that this this period of light, you know, true light, maybe it's why a lot of painters in England use tonal ranges probably more than colour mm. and a lot of people talk to me about Australia and colour and how a lot of painters here use this very sort of vibrant colour in their work and I think it's there because of the light. That's interesting isn't it so that because when the light does get low they don't they don't have to worry about colour, they just have to worry about tone, basically. Well, yeah. If you're, if you're working in tone, then you then it's a different thing. You know, it, linear or tone, then you can just, you could work at night time, in theory. Yeah. Um, but when, when it's colour, when it's hue, when it's these subtle changes of, you know, lilacs through greens and etc., you know, an under colour, you know, um, where colour comes through from a ground... It's so subtle that that those things for me that um, yeah you need you need you need good light you need daylight 
What about what about getting started in the morning? Do you do you have like difficulty sort of getting started, or do you have any tricks for getting started, or don't you find it difficult? I like to be relaxed, and I like to be calm, and I like to, I suppose, have a bit of meditation and. So usually maybe for an hour before that I might just sit and look at look out and look at the nature and have a coffee and yeah. do the, those sort of things. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And it really sets you up for and put music on, you know, mm. some nice music, mm. some Bill Evans or Nina Simone or something like that. Yeah. I've been listening a lot to um um Ghosting, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Yeah. So so maybe maybe he's responsible for a bit of that sort of <laughs> the black tonality. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for your time today, and good luck with with what's you know up coming up ahead, thank you. and um, especially on the other side of you know COVID. Thank you, Maria. What a great artist! I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Colin Pennock. Check out his show online or by appointment with Scott Livesey Galleries in Melbourne and go to the website uh, for links to things we talked about in the show. I'll also be getting a short video on the website and uh, my YouTube channel of Colin and his work, so watch out for that. Thanks also to all of you who have been joining in on the art quiz in the last few weeks. Now with ISO easing up, I'm going to have the last art quiz this coming Saturday, the 23rd of July at 4pm. So if you haven't joined in before this, this is your last chance. It's a lot of fun. And this time there is a prize which is generously donated by painter and ceramicist Nicola Hart two beautiful ceramic works which I'll be posting on social media this week. Uh, Thanks also to the Sydney Art Store who also donated the prize at the beginning of the show. It's been so much fun doing the quiz and all six winners are going to be mentioned in the next episode of the podcast. I've also been doing a few live catch-ups with my past podcast guests, including uh, Renee French, John Bocor and Vanessa Stockard. And I'm going to keep doing that from time to time. So keep a lookout on Instagram for when those are going to be. Thanks again for all the ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. That is the best way to get the word out about the show and I really appreciate it. And um, hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking With Painters. With painting, it's it's a it's a conversation. It happens as you make the marks. It happens you 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 put paint down essentially, and you look at it, and you go, okay, I like that. I'm going to move that way. Or you see something, or you see it possibly could be described as an accident. Some of the marks that you make, you couldn't contrive to make them. So then it's like you direct you direct that you you make it happen. You, you and that's why I call it a conversation because it, it feels like a back and forward thing that evolves. <laughs>